Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Folklore, Food and Fairy Tales. I recently interviewed Isis Sedgwick, the host of Fabulous Folklore, Rebel Folklore, Empowering Tales of Spirits, Witches and Other Misfits from Anansi to Baba Yaga. Folklore gathers 50 of the darkest and most complicated folktale characters from around the world, showing readers why we should care about the rebels and misfits of ancient stories. The book is released on the 7th of September and I've included a links in the show notes for pre-orders of the book. Please sit back and enjoy my interview with Icy. Please ignore the fact that in the first few moments I call the book Folklore Rebels, which it obviously isn't. The title of the book is Rebel Folklore. Hello, um, I'm here today and I'm talking to Icy Sedgwick, who I'm sure all of you, or at least many of you, will have heard of. Icy presents um, Fabulous Folklore, another really amazing podcast. Hello, it's so nice to be on your podcast, because obviously don't forget you've been on mine. I remember I had a really good time though, thankfully. So uh the revenge questions. I know, I know. I'm de- we definitely it's our fortune that is that it's those cheese pirates. We're just really sad. We we haven't done it yet. But the more we talk about it, the more we can retain the copyright, I think. I think we're gonna yeah. be good. someone else tries to steal our idea. <laughs> it would be one of those things where there would be one like a thing of the show and everyone would get pilot and everyone would go no no to cheese pirates or it would go on for like 27 series and everyone would hate the cheese pirates by the end <laughs> it's one of those i think so they're nothing or it's got legs so cheese pirates however do not feature in your new book <laughs> possibly because although i suppose they are flawed heroes in a weird sort of way um they are really um I suppose really folkloric creatures, which I know is what you're concentrating on. Um, the book's called um, Folklore Rebels, and you have 50 of them. Do you have a favourite one? Can I ask that question? Or is that a bit like, what's your favourite child? <laughs> um, I do. Oh, well, um, yes, there's 50 rebels. And obviously the span kind of a bit of a gamut. So you've got some... I'm going to sit with human characters rather rather than real life ones because you've got people like Robin Hood in there because you can't do rebels in folklore and not mention Robin Hood. like That would just be weird. But then there's other figures in there, like we've got Selkies in there, which you wouldn't immediately consider to be particularly rebellious, yeah. but they are a bit more ambiguous. So the characters, I don't even like calling them characters, or the figures sort of sit half, not even halfway, but they sort of they occupy that grey space between like good and evil so none of the characters are wholly one or the other mm-hmm. some of them tend more in, in in one direction or the other like the selkies i would argue tend more towards the good end of the spectrum and like the pleiades or the seven sisters they're very much more towards that end of the spectrum but they're more you, they're not characters where you could just point at them and go they are one or the other um yeah. so I, I quite like the fact that they sit in that space and i think as a result my favorites it's a type of figure rather than a specific one and i would probably say the psycho pumps so i've got two in this one so there's lanku from kind of breton folklore and cornwall and, and sort of the, the more celtic countries and i've got the chongsung Sarja from korea as well who's really cool so they're basically the characters who turn up at the point that you die yeah. and take you where you need to go yeah no, that is fascinating. I find Psycho Pumps absolutely fascinating because they're so, they are, it's the thing is of a sort of a, the liminal space anyway, aren't they? So they're connected with that. And that is always like a, just an interesting place to be. And then, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, I like everyone, a huge lover of Pratchett. 
And I always loved the idea that he said to people when they died that you would essentially see what, you know, of death, as obviously his character, but, you know, you'll essentially see what you expect to see. So, like, people would, who were from wherever they were from, wherever their religion was, whatever their culture was, that they would see who they expected to see. They wouldn't see who we would perhaps expect to see here. How did you choose who to leave out? I think that's my next question, because you must have had to leave out a lot because there's so many. It was really hard. And obviously this was part of a collaborative process with DK, the publisher. So me and my editor, who was excellent, um, sort of sat down and sort of like literally like brainstormed who who should be in it. So there was obviously some like Robin Hood who were in it from the beginning. And then other ones where it was like, is it the more research I did, I was like, oh, they need to be in and they'd, they'd be really cool. And there started to be certain trends emerged, which made it a little bit easier. So obviously there's quite a lot of forest protectors We've got quite a lot of other ones like linked with the natural world. You've got some kind of wronged women. I don't want to call them vengeful. They can be, but they tend to kind of also act as a little bit of a cautionary tale as well. And it they sort of started to fall into, into sort of loose groupings, as it were, around their function. And I think that the one thing that we did try to leave out were any that were related to sort of specific religions or specific religious beliefs because I thought I don't really want to start lumping people's religious belief systems and obviously some of them kind of dovetail with religion in it like the barong in Bali and so on but we sort of decided to because there was an argument for including Lilith and I was like yes but she's part of Jewish law so I think that you know I'd rather direct people to go and find out yeah about her from from sort of sources where that's there background and so on so it, it did become kind of here trying to figure out like were they ones that fitted with who we already had were they ones that had more of a folkloric background I mean there's a couple of mythological ones from Central America but in general they kind of fit within that sort of that more folkloric background and then there was also the fact that it's like there were some of them that I found that I was like oh wow these are amazing and then you read them and went wow they are just evil <laughs> so it's like there wasn't enough ambiguity there so you they kind of had to satisfy those kind of three criteria and then we're like yes so so someone like Robin Hood is a really easy one to put in but then if you get something like uh, the bunyip in Australia it was like well which you know it's not from a religion really um, you know, is it a folkloric figure? Yes. And it is a bit more ambiguous. So again, it was then, oh, well, fair enough, then now it, now the bunyip can go in. And I remember the bunyip from a kid's cartoon when I was little. So Yeah. yeah. One of my favourite folk tale when I was small, um, and I didn't realise where they were from, if that makes sense. And I probably wouldn't tell those sort of tales now, although they're massive, I still love them, are the Br'er Rabbit books and the Br'er Rabbit tales and I love Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Rabbit is that whole sort of obviously there were African stories that changed and moved over to the Americas and came sort of the sort of the, the the black slave communities there's stories from there and there's the, the sort of trickster element that comes and sort of there's the links sort of with Anansi and stuff obviously there's only stuff I grew up but I loved those when I was a kid but it's very difficult, like you said, for obviously it's not a religious issue, but sometimes there are some areas where it's quite difficult, where obviously it's tied up with so much emotion and belief that it, it isn't an area you want to send people to people who know those 
characters yeah. or figures very well, don't you? So people can get an idea, an idea really about what they're about when it's not something you're that sort of not as knowledgeable as something that you you enjoy reading about. Um, I suppose that that's you mentioned research, and I think that's a thing that for me that I find really interesting because I love doing it myself, and sometimes. I do all the research and I think I don't know why I've done this because this is useless for what I need it for I mean I'm fascinated and it's really interesting but it hasn't got me any further I've like taken a day when I could have been doing like actual things I needed to do like how do you do your research how do you stay disciplined are you quite a do you or do you end up down rabbit holes and you know and in different places because you've you've sort of lost yourself or are you quite disciplined with it I think I've learned with this book, it was actually quite easy to quite to stay quite focused because for some of the figures, there really wasn't that much to find on them to start with. So it made it a lot easier. Yeah. And I would generally start off in the more academic places first. So I'd be looking on things like JSTOR. I'd be looking on like ResearchGate and things like that. Obviously looking for books that yeah. people had written about them. And then I would sort of start working my way down from there but then I would still prioritize if there was a source so for example when I was writing about Barong there were some sources written about him by people who live in Bali who that's their ancestry and they were obviously talking about Barong sort of to kind of correct some of the tourist stories so I was like well you're you're a more I don't want to say reliable but you're a more authentic source so it was quite easy, again, to sort of stay focused. When I'm doing my folklore podcast, I go off down rabbit holes all the live long day. Yeah. And sometimes I'll keep something and go, oh, that might go in another episode. You never know. And I very rarely go back to that file. So it's just full of stuff. Yeah. Other times I've just learned something that I'm like, I will remember that for an awkward conversation. But generally speaking, uh, with this book, it was a lot easier to stay focused just because I knew who I was looking for. Yeah. Where I did get a bit, not stuck, sucks the wrong word, where the possibility to fall down a, a rabbit hole was that was when you did have a really well-known figure. Yeah. So the lesser well-known ones were actually easier, whereas when you get someone like Robin Hood, it's like, oh, man, there is so much to go through. Yeah. Again, it's then prioritising what to include. And because the the general approach of the book is to they're all they're just introductions to these characters. There's no way you can do that much justice to 50 characters in, like, this length of book so it's basically a way of like introducing like this is the kind of scenario in which you might find one here's an overview of some of their tales here's what some people have said about them and how they fit into different contexts and then here's what we can learn about them here in the 21st century although bearing in mind you don't want to then try and impose that western viewpoint on literally all of them so it's kind of trying to take that sort of approach to them yeah I guess it's to give people a start isn't it to say that get fascinated by these characters and like you said the ambiguity of them and then go and find things they love about them and find what other people have to say about them and go out and so that's yeah that is that I know I know what you mean about rabbit holes it's why I have a sub stack it's only because I have all this stuff that doesn't fit into my podcast because obviously mine's a bit more sort of wide-ranging in that I'm not that focused in my what my subject matter is so I have stories I have feed I have history and the feed history and stuff and so stuff comes out and it's just not suitable for the podcast I'm like well I've got to do something with this because I'm fascinated and I want to share it with people so that's the only reason I have one it was an overspill from rabbit holes of of research Mm -hmm. um I think 
what's really interesting we sort of I've just, I've just mentioned like I've got maybe the two questions are together and maybe if I ask them both you might sort of answer them both at the same time you might not want to you might want to look at them slightly differently I think one is that what do you think I mean obviously very surface level but what do you think we can sort of start to learn about cultures from their more flawed heroes and heroines even if that's like our own and also what do you think these sort of folkloric beings I suppose tell us about being ourselves you know what is it almost like like a cautionary tale almost like have you you know what what would you say I mean maybe we can answer them together maybe they don't fit as well as I think they do in my head I think the it's interesting that you put there about obviously learning about your own sort of culture from them because I think obviously anyone who's grown up within sort of these like say cultures that these have come from so say for example the Amazonian basin um, you're going to have a very different approach to these sort of figures and stories and so on because they're part of your lived experience but then you look at the Robin Hood one and be like that's so that's different from or or, or you know some of the ones in, in Norway and so on you know because they are kind of products of that context so I think in some ways they are useful in that way of in a saying how similar some of them are because when you look at some of the forest protectors the common thread across them, no matter where they're from, whether it's Europe or South America or Asia or wherever, there's a constant sort of theme of like anyone who takes more than they should um, is the one that tends to get punished. So you you kind of start to learn from that, okay, well, we can, we can take a lesson from that. And that is going to be the same across anyone who has that as a particular resource. And I think that the what we can learn from cultures is obviously what has been important to cultures over time because that's where some of the stories do then become a little bit more culturally specific so you can go well that was clearly important to them at that point and this is important to us now and this is where we can meet them where they are but then I think at the same time it's really important to honour those differences and then honour the fact that they all come from different contexts so you get a figure like a Nancy who's really interesting and I was absolutely thrilled to discover that there's an argument that he's like the first Spider-Man. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love that. But you also have to acknowledge that Nancy wouldn't necessarily occupy the geographic sort of diversity that he does now. Because obviously he, he appears in so many locations were it not for like the barbaric treatment sort of that the, the people sort of suffered during the transatlantic slave trade. So you kind of have to keep these things in mind. Yeah. at all times so certain figures you know you can just read it and enjoy it because it's like they like generally but can you enjoy jenny green teeth i'm not sure but you can sort of you know go with this this particular figure yeah um you know tells us to stay away from water or from stuff that looks like it might be grass but isn't and that again i think other people will go oh we had something similar to that and it's just got a different name so i think it is quite good teaching people or not teaching people like showing people how in some ways we're more similar than we probably think we are in terms of our preoccupations. Mm. But then they also do help us to remember that we're different and then to explore those, those differences and different experiences and kind of how we can, you know, treat each other better without wanting to sound too like. Yeah. No, I understand what you mean. Yeah. I think it is, it's such a, it is a difficult thing. I guess for me, one of the things for that would be like Willie the Wisps or Jack o' Lanterns Mm. or Marsh Lights and essentially, it's like, do not follow tiny lights on an uncertain surface in the dark where there was water. And they appear yeah. all over the world. They have different names and different sides. But it's all about 
don't go out at night and wander around in places where it's dangerous. Stay at home. Yeah. And that's essentially the, I mean, you know, it's not as entertaining as the actual story. And then that those whole things go down, like the sort of, you know, not being allowed into heaven and not being allowed into, not being allowed back into hell because you go all of that whole, you know, mm. such an interesting concept. But it, it is everywhere. And I think, yeah, without sort of, we're going to go down a rabbit hole of one of the whisks and we're not going to do it. Um, It'll be easily done, though. <laughs> it's coming up to Halloween, isn't it? That's the thing. You start to think, see turnips everywhere and then that story comes ahead in the seven different ones. I quite like the ones where the the, the black, it's usually a blacksmith. It's, so, it's always got an interesting tone as well because I think tone is one of the things that you get from stories like some of them the tone about the person who ended up being the will of the wisp was a very like a very evil person and then and and no wonder this happened but sometimes it's just someone that tricks the devil but wasn't good enough to go to heaven because they'd been sort of not but they weren't intrinsically bad so it's like and it's all in the tone of the storytelling rather than in the actual because it's pretty much a, a you know there's less ambiguity when you read it yeah. than there is when the stories to t- stories are told and I think that's yeah I'm I'm yeah very excited I love Robin Hood I I love him because not because of the Robin Hood Men in Tights film which I have to say if, you, if anyone wants to watch it it's fabulous but um but it's that whole thing of whether it's chat books whether it's history is he the same character that went on through time and stuff and so like you said Robin Hood's our culture isn't it but for a lot of people in the UK they will only ever have seen bits like the sort of Robin Hood in Sherwood thing they won't realize all the different things almost like you know helping monks and helping you know you know being anti-religion to it to a certain extent and uh, yeah that's it's a you said once you again you must have had Robin Hood you must have had so much material how how you leave stuff out I don't know for Robin Hood I think we decided to take particular, like a particular focus on sort of different readings of him, and the fact that like some people have actually looked at him as being quite a, a good. And this is an interesting one that it's only really come out now because it couldn't have come out like a hundred years ago. But the idea of him actually being quite a good role model for like um positive masculinity and things like that. Yeah, and I think. Also, the thing as well is when you consider the the sheer number of variety of stories, like some of the variations I've included in the book, people might read it and go, that's not the version I know. But that's because there's like 40 versions, if not more, because obviously the the change every time they're told and then they change according to different um, time periods that they're told in or they might change if they're sort of told in a different um, region and so on. I mean, look at the the way that like black dog stories differ across the, the you know just the British Isles alone. Yeah. But then they're also they also appear all over the world. So I think it's trying to kind of pin down the essence of a figure, but then also having in mind the fact that there's like a variation in tone and actually sometimes even in motivation depending on and then of course it's like oh you're looking at the ones that people have actually told each other and then when people come in and start writing romances about them and it's just like ah how do you separate one from the other yeah two different ca- the characters grow don't they they have their own lives almost of mm-hmm. like folkloric figures because through time it changes so much um i think they change i suppose that's my last question really but I think your connection, my connection to different figures from folklore has changed from when I, as I've grown older, like I'm attracted and interested more by different, when you're a kid, when you're a teenager, you almost, the the rebel things are, I think, more fascinating because it's that thing of you wanting to step outside your own skin almost and be something different 
Whereas for me, as a, as an, a, a, I'm going to have to say this now, a middle-aged woman, I'm looking at women. I find the the folkloric figures who characterise women who or or characters that sit slightly outside of society because they're no longer needed in the same way obviously much more fascinating because it's more to do with my life experience now do you think that's something you'd agree with yeah and you love the Baba Yaga section yeah you have to love Baba Yaga (laughs) Um, I think for me I've always been interested I've never really had like that rebellious phase it's just in like an overt kind of way I've always just I've been that really irritating person who's just gone why like if something doesn't make sense but I think for me, I've always been interested in almost like if there's a magical character in anything. So like if there's like a, a you know, like when you get like I suppose it's, it's not folklore, but Lord of the Rings is the one that springs to mind. A character like Gandalf, like the helper character. Yeah. I've always been really interested in them because I was like, what's their motivation? Why are they doing this? And I think that that that's kind of a way I've always sort of been quite fascinated and I guess you know you get that across folklore you get that in even in ghost stories and things when ghosts suddenly pop up and try and help people and it's again it's like what's the end goal so I think it's it it just depends on yeah what the person's personal experience is and also just what their interests are so other people are going to be more interested in the gung-ho hero other people would be more interested in any animals and I think as long as you've got that point of interest it kind of then gives you a way to hang everything together as you're then following your journey into folklore and so on and myth and and what have you oh that's wonderful thank you so much i'm i'm just gonna say again one you have to buy it what day is it when does it come out is it the 7th of september 7th of september from all um from i'm gonna say all bookshops some of them are less good than others obviously you've got places where you'd prefer to buy them but sometimes we have to you know look at sometimes people don't have places close by do they so what we'll do as i said at the beginning is we'll put some um things options in the show notes um and if for people to order them or pre if we i think this will probably come out just before it goes out so i'm going to try and get this this will go out sort of the early in that week so um if you've got any codes or anything I see that'd be great and we can put people in if it's just an early pre-order that probably you mean you can have it with you on the day that it arrives which is always always the best thing is to have a shiny new thing when everyone else hasn't quite got the shiny new thing makes the shiny new thing better yeah definitely <laughs> it's been lovely to see you and thank you um sadly no cheese pirates this time but we must um we must rethink this for the future absolutely got me money cheese pirates too <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it would be like, yeah, you could name them after various different cheeses. You know what I mean? As you work through the different. Captain Camembert is going to be my favourite. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> He's everyone's favourite. <laughs> Thanks again, Icy. It's been brilliant having you. And um, hopefully we'll speak again soon. Yeah, my pleasure. And that was the end of my chat with Icy. I hope you enjoy the book as much as I enjoyed talking to Icy about it. This may be the end of this episode, but next week there will be three brand new episodes at once because it is folklore food and fairy tales. Third birthday, which I am very excited about. If you subscribe, which I hope you do, you will get those delivered automatically to wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. In the meantime, you can get in touch with me on social media where I am folklore, food and fairy tales pretty much everywhere, or via my website in the comments section. It's Thanks again for listening to Folklore, Food and Fairy Tales.